putting humans in the machine learning loop. I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is Dr. Robert Monroe, author and CEO of Machine Learning Consulting. Welcome, Robert. Thanks. It's great to be here. Give us a brief summary of your background and tell us the type of business that you help at Machine Learning Consulting. Yeah, so I've been working in machine learning for about 20 years. Um, my career began as a software developer, um, working uh, all around the world from Australia originally, uh, worked in Europe for a little while, uh, and then I worked for the United Nations in West Africa, uh, helping in refugee camps with uh, post-conflict development. Um, and uh, since that time, I've, I've really looked for ways where I, I can have a positive impact in the world um, uh, through machine learning. Uh, so I first came to the U.S. about 15 years ago uh, to get my Ph.D. at Stanford. Uh, my, my dissertation focused on ways that you can adapt machine learning to help with healthcare and disaster response, uh, especially uh, when people speak uh, languages other than English and then French and Spanish, which are which are widely supported by by or your smart devices. Uh, and since then, I've, I've worked in uh, a mixture of uh, startups and large companies. Um, so I ran product for Amazon Web Services, first natural language processing and translation services. Uh, and I was CTO of the largest data labeling company. Uh, right now, I run a consulting company, machine learning consulting. And we help companies integrate machine learning into their products uh, in ways where hopefully the customer doesn't even need to know that uh, they're using machine learning. And, and our clients are really varied. So we're working with a, a very large manufacturer of agricultural equipment uh, so that they can have better computer vision in their machines, uh, working with a marketing company so that they can uh, target enterprise advertising uh, much more efficiently. Um, and for the past couple of months, uh, I've been doing personally a lot of work in the response uh, to COVID. Uh, so using my background as a professional disaster responder uh, and advising the ways that different organizations uh, can use machine learning to help with their response. You're putting the finishing touches on your latest book, uh, Human in the Loop, Machine Learning. What prompted you to write this book at this time? So I wrote the book, Human in the Loop, Machine Learning, because it was the book I wish I had read when I began my, my data science uh, career. Uh, a common thread in everything I've, I've done in my career is that the data was more important than the algorithms uh, in order to be accurate. Uh, that's super obvious in, in use cases like translation or information extraction or speech recognition. So obviously your smart device in your house or your phone, it can recognize when you speak in English, um, but it can't recognize 99% uh, of the world's languages uh, because it hasn't been trained on the data in, in those languages. Uh, even for use cases where we do have data, uh, more data um, can get you to higher accuracy uh, really, really quickly. Uh, and so I wrote Human in the Loop Machine Learning because when you, you look at the computer science uh, courses that, that I took and that I'm sure anyone else took, uh, you learn a lot about the algorithm side of machine learning, uh, but you don't learn much about what does the interaction with humans, uh, what is that supposed to look like, and how can you create uh, high quality training data? to support whatever use case you're, you're trying to build. What are the weak links today in designing artificial intelligence? So about 90% of AI systems which are deployed in the real world get smarter with, with human data. Uh, and so uh, the biggest uh, weaknesses that I've seen are uh, access to quality data. 
I think as, as we're seeing good machine learning systems get more and more commoditized and, and much easier to use, um, uh, some with open source systems or, or maybe sometimes with uh, proprietary big, uh, cloud vendors, uh, we're solving the algorithm side really, really well. Uh, but uh, for a lot of these systems that don't work unless you have hundreds of thousands of human manually labeled examples. So your smart device works because there have been hundreds of hours, probably thousands of hours of uh, human speech, uh, which has been manually transcribed. Translation works because there are millions of examples of sentences in two languages that a system can learn from. Uh, a, a autonomous vehicle can drive down the street and avoid the pedestrians uh, because humans have spent thousands of hours identifying this is a pedestrian, this is a street sign, this is a cyclist um, in videos. Um, and then the AI learns from that. And uh, one of the reasons is that this is a big bottleneck is, is I like to say that most machine learning algorithms are, are a bunch of high school math just taped together in a really clever way. <laughs> like uh, fundamentally, it's you know like logistic regression and 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 you know converging on on, on a model with linear algebra. Um, but again, like put together in smart ways. However, uh, to implement good human quality control, uh, to ensure that humans have the right labels to resolve disputes when humans disagree with each other when they're trying to annotate data, uh, that requires college level math uh, uh, taped together in, in a really smart way. Uh, so I, I find when I'm employing data scientists, this is the, the biggest gap. It's not their algorithm knowledge, uh, it's how to create a pipeline to get that human feedback as efficiently as possible. When should you engage humans uh, in, in fine-tuning machine learning, and, and how do you select the right people for those jobs? So I think you need to think about a data strategy right at the start of your machine learning process. Your, your data strategy and your algorithm strategy uh, should go hand in hand. And one of the, the toughest things is going to be deciding, well, who are the humans that are going to to interact with the model that can create the training data that can improve uh, the accuracy. And uh, there's a whole range of options. Uh, so you might have in-house experts, you might trust them to be very accurate on your data because of their domain expertise, um, but then they're gonna be a bottleneck. You only have so many experts in-house, their, their time is, is probably very valuable. Uh, and so you might not get uh, the very large volumes of, of training data that you need. And so many companies um, look to outsourcing firms. Um, so there are a number of very large and very successful companies uh, that work only in annotating data for machine learning. Uh, in fact, there are more people employed uh, to annotate data in outsourcing companies than there are employed to create algorithms uh, within AI. It's actually the, the largest workforce um, in AI are, are people annotating the data. Uh, it's also a very uh, international and, and very diverse workforce, um, but a very overlooked one. Um, and then um, in addition to in-house experts or um, outsourced specialists in training data, um, there are crowdsourcing platforms as well, where uh, you're basically employing gig economy workers. And for a dollar at a time that they might say spend 20 cents um, annotating your data for you. And uh, regardless of the workforce you choose, uh, you're going to have to think about quality control. Uh, how do you identify when, when someone has given the wrong answer? How do you resolve disputes? Uh, how can you break up a complicated task into simpler ones uh, to get better throughput and, and to get better accuracy? We're off to a good start applying machine learning and AI to narrowly focused tasks. But what challenges do we face today in applying AI to broader, maybe less specific use cases? 
Yeah, so I think one of the most interesting advances that I've seen recently in, in both the, the natural language processing and the computer vision uh, fields um, are pre-trained models um, uh, using techniques uh, known as transfer learning. Uh, so an example of natural language processing would be very large models trained on, on very simple things like predicting the next word in a sentence or when two sentences follow each other. Um, so tasks where the data is already there. You don't need humans to manually annotate it. And so you can build these models um, across very large amounts of data. So all of Wikipedia, all open book texts, um, other, other texts you have available to you, and then adapt them uh, very easily to, to different, uh, different tasks. Uh, so this, this kind of approach, uh, which uh, uses these existing models as, as, as embeddings or uh, representations or as uh, base models to tune, uh, it currently gets state-of-the-art across a really large number of different benchmarks. Uh, so, uh, say 10 years ago in, in natural language processing, it used to be the case you had one set of algorithms to do things like translation, another set of algorithms to do things like extracting information from text, another again to do filtering or identifying sentiment. Uh, very different workflows, very different algorithms. Um, now, you can start with one very general model uh, built over all available data that you have for a language, um, and then with a smaller amount of human input, adapt that one model to every single one of these tasks. And what's really exciting about this is, well, for one, it's reducing the overall number of um, human annotations, amount of human input that you need to, to get to accuracy on, on these different tasks. Uh, and also, it's given us a common framework. Uh, so it, it used to be the case that if you're a machine learning um, specialist, uh, machine translation specialist, you probably uh, didn't have a lot in common with an information retrieval specialist or a, um, a, um, um, a, a semantic analysis specialist. Uh, you use different algorithms, you have different jargon. Uh, now everyone is using the same models um, and, and sharing um, a lot of their learnings uh, across these different tasks. Um, the only caveat I, I would say is that um, all it's done really, other than create a shared framework, is reduce the number of annotations. Um, there aren't use cases yet where um, we're doing away with human uh, engagement entirely, um, or that we're necessarily seeing models that can be more general um, uh, with, with human engagement. Uh, so I think we're, we're right at the start of, um, of those kind of advances. Okay, Robert, how can people preview your book? Yeah, so if, if you search for my book and your, your favorite search engine, Human in the Loop Machine Learning, um, you'll see that it's already up. My, my publisher is Menin. Uh, so if you go to menin.com and, and, and look for the book, you'll, you'll see it there as well. Uh, I believe there's free previews of the, the book already. Um, uh, I have eight of the 12 chapters published online so far. Um, you can publish the book electronic. Uh, sorry, you can purchase the book electronically and um, get the chapters as they're published, uh, and also uh, pre-order the uh, the print book as well. Dr. Robert Monroe, CEO of Machine Learning and Consulting, and author of Human in the Loop: Machine Learning. Thanks again, Robert, for joining us. And if somebody wants to connect with you personally, how can they do that? Thanks, Tonya. Uh, if you'd like to connect with me, you're welcome to reach out to me uh, directly on LinkedIn, uh, or you can find me on Twitter at www.rob. Thanks again. And find more of my interviews right here or at tonyahall.net. Thanks for watching.